Chapter Five of Characters of Shakespeare's Plays by William Hazlitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nemo and Eva Davis. Othello. It has been said that tragedy purifies the affections by terror and pity. That is, it substitutes imaginary sympathy for mere selfishness. It gives us a high and permanent interest beyond ourselves in humanity as such. It raises the great, the remote, and the possible to an equality with the real, the little, and the near. It makes man a partaker with his kind. It subdues and softens the stubbornness of his will. It teaches him that there are and have been others like himself by showing him as in a glass what they have felt thought and done it opens the chambers of the human heart it leaves nothing indifferent to us that can affect our common nature it excites our sensibility by exhibiting the passions wound up to the utmost pitch by the power of imagination or the temptation of circumstances and corrects their fatal excesses in ourselves by pointing to the greater extent of sufferings and of crimes to which they have led others tragedy creates a balance of the affections it makes us thoughtful spectators in the list of life it is the refiner of the species a discipline of humanity the habitual study of poetry and works of imagination is one chief part of a well-grounded education a taste for liberal art is necessary to complete the character of a gentleman science alone is hard and mechanical it exercises the understanding upon things out of ourselves while it leaves the affections unemployed or engrossed with our own immediate narrow interest othello furnishes an illustration of these remarks it excites our sympathy in an extraordinary degree the moral it conveys has a closer application to the concerns of human life than any other of shakespeare's plays it comes directly home to the bosoms and business of men the pathos in lear is indeed more dreadful and overpowering but it is less natural and less of every day's occurrence we have not the same degree of sympathy with the passions described in macbeth the interest in hamlet is more remote and reflex that of othello is at once equally profound and affecting the picturesque contrast of character in this play are almost as remarkable as the depth of the passion the more othello the gentle desdemona the villain iago the good-natured cassio the fool rodrigo present a range and variety of character as striking and palpable as that produced by the opposition of costume in a picture their distinguishing qualities stand out to the mind's eye so that even when we are not thinking of their actions or sentiments the idea of their persons is still as present to us as ever these characters and the images they stamp upon the mind are the farthest asunder possible the distance between them is immense yet the compass of knowledge and invention which the poet has shown in embodying these extreme creations of his genius is only greater than the truth and felicity with which 
he has identified each character with itself or blended their different qualities together in the same story what a contrast the character of othello forms to that of iago at the same time the force of conception with which these two figures are opposed to each other is rendered still more intense by the complete consistency with which the traits of each character are brought out in a state of the highest finishing the making one black and the other white the one unprincipled the other unfortunate in the extreme would have answered the common purpose of effect and satisfied the ambition of an ordinary painter of character shakespeare has labored the finer shades of difference in both with as much care and skill as if he had had to depend upon the execution alone for the success of his design on the other hand desdemona and amelia are not meant to be opposed with anything like strong contrast to each other both are to outward appearance characters of common life not more distinguished than women usually are by difference of rank and situation the difference of their thoughts and sentiments is however laid as open their minds are separated from each other by signs as plain and as little to be mistaken as the complexions of their husbands the movement of the passion in othello is exceedingly different from that of macbeth in macbeth there is a violent struggle between opposite feelings between ambition and the stings of conscience almost from first to last in othello the doubtful conflict between contrary passions though dreadful continues only for a short time and the chief interest is excited by the alternate ascendancy of different passions the entire and unforeseen change from the fondest love and the most unbounded confidence to the tortures of jealousy and the madness of hatred the revenge of othello after it has once taken thorough possession of his mind never quits it but grows stronger and stronger at every moment of its delay the nature of the moor is noble confiding tender and generous but his blood is of the most inflammable kind and being once roused by a sense of his wrongs he is stopped by no considerations of remorse or pity till he is given a loose to all the dictates of his rage and his despair it is in working his noble nature up to this extremity through rapid but gradual transitions in raising passion to its height from the smallest beginnings and in spite of all obstacles in painting the expiring conflict between love and hatred tenderness and resentment jealousy and remorse in unfolding the strength and the weaknesses of our nature in uniting sublimity of thought with the anguish of the keenest woe in putting in motion the various impulses that agitate this our mortal being and at last blending them in that noble tide of deep and sustained passion impetuous but majestic that flows on to the propontic and knows no ebb that shakespeare has shown the mastery of his genius and of his power over the human heart the third act of othello is his masterpiece not of knowledge or passion separately but of the two combined of the knowledge of character with the expression of passion of consummate art in the keeping up of appearances 
with the profound workings of nature and the convulsive movements of uncontrollable agony of the power of inflicting torture and of suffering it not only is the tumult of passion heaved up from the very bottom of the soul but every the slightest undulation of feeling is seen on the surface as it arises from the impulses of imagination or the different probabilities maliciously suggested by iago the progressive preparation for the catastrophe is wonderfully managed from the moor's first gallant recital of the story of his love of the spells in witchcraft he had used from his unlooked-for and romantic success the fond satisfaction with which he dotes on his own happiness the unreserved tenderness of desdemona and her innocent importunities in favour of cassio irritating the suspicions instilled into her husband's mind by the perfidy of iago and rankling there to poison till he loses all command of himself and his rage can only be appeased by blood she is introduced just before iago begins to put his scheme in practice pleading for cassio with all the thoughtless gaiety of friendship and winning confidence in the love of othello what michael cassio that came a-wooing with you and so many a time when i have spoke of you dispraisingly attain your part to have so much to do to bring him in why this is not a boon tis as i should entreat you wear your gloves or feed on nourishing meats or keep you warm or sue to you to do a peculiar profit to your person nay when i have a suit wherein i mean to touch your love indeed it shall be full of poise and fearful to be granted othello's confidence at first only staggered by broken hints and insinuations recovers itself at sight of desdemona and he exclaims if she be false oh then heaven mocks itself i'll not believe it but presently after on brooding over his suspicions by himself and yielding to his apprehensions of the worst his smothered jealousy breaks out into open fury and he returns to demand satisfaction of iago like a wild beast stung with the envenomed shaft of the hunters look where he comes etc in this state of exasperation and violence after the first paroxysms of his grief and tenderness have had their vent in that passionate apostrophe i felt not cassio's kisses on her lips iago by false aspersions and by presenting the most revolting images to his mind easily turns the storm of passion from himself against desdemona and works him up into a trembling agony of doubt and fear in which he abandons all his love and hopes in a breath now do i see tis true look here iago all my fond love thus do i blow to heaven tis gone arise black vengeance from the hollow hell yield up o love thy crown in hearted throne to ternus hate swell bosom with thy fraught for tis of aspic's tongues from this time his raging thoughts never look back 
ne'er ebb to humble love till his revenge is sure of its object the painful regrets and involuntary recollections of past circumstances which cross his mind amidst the dim trances of passion aggravating the sense of his wrongs but not shaking his purpose once indeed where iago shows him cassio with a handkerchief in his hand and making sport as he thinks of his misfortunes the intolerable bitterness of his feelings the extreme sense of shame makes him fall to praising her accomplishments and relapse into a momentary fit of weakness yet oh the pity of it iago the pity of it this returning fondness however only serves as it is managed by iago to whet his revenge and set his heart more against her in his conversations with desdemona the persuasion of her guilt and the immediate proofs of her duplicity seem to irritate his resentment and aversion to her but in the scene immediately preceding her death the recollection of his love returns upon him in all its tenderness and force and after her death he all at once forgets his wrongs in the sudden and irreparable sense of his loss my wife my wife what wife i have no wife oh insupportable oh heavy hour this happens before he is assured of her innocence but afterwards his remorse is as dreadful as his revenge has been and yields only to fixed and death-like despair his farewell speech before he kills himself in which he conveys his reason to the senate for the murder of his wife is equal to the first speech in which he gave them an account of his courtship of her and his whole course of love such an ending was alone worthy of such a commencement if anything could add to the force of our sympathy with othello or compassion for his fate it would be the frankness and generosity of his nature which so little deserve it when iago first begins to practice upon his unsuspecting friendship he answers tis not to make me jealous to say my wife is fair feeds well loves company is free of speech sings plays and dances well where virtue is these are most virtuous nor from my own weak merits will i draw the smallest fear or doubt of her revolt for she had eyes and chose me this character is beautifully and with affecting simplicity confirmed by what desdemona herself says of him to amelia after she has lost the handkerchief the first pledge of his love to her believe me i had rather lost my purse full of crusados and but my noble moor is true of mind and made of no such baseness as jealous creatures are it were enough to put him to ill thinking amelia is he not jealous desdemona who he i think the sun where he was born drew all such humours from him in a short speech of amelia's there occurs one of those side intimations of the fluctuations of passion which we seldom meet with but in shakespeare after othello has resolved upon the death of his wife 
and bids her dismiss her attendant for the night she answers i will my lord amelia how goes it now he looks gentler than he did shakespeare has here put into half a line what some authors would have spun out into ten set speeches the character of desdemona herself is inimitable both in itself and as a contrast with othello's groundless jealousy and with the foul conspiracy of which she is the innocent victim her beauty and external graces are only indirectly glanced at we see her visage in her mind her character everywhere predominates over her person a maiden never bold of spirit so still and quiet that her motion blushed at itself there is one fine compliment paid to her by cassio who exclaims triumphantly when she comes ashore at cyprus after the storm tempests themselves high seas and howling winds as having sense of beauty do omit their mortal natures letting safe go by the divine desdemona in general as is the case with most of shakespeare's females we lose sight of her personal charms in her attachment and devotedness to her husband she is subdued even to the very quality of her lord and to othello's honours and his valiant parts her soul and fortunes consecrates the lady protests so much herself and she is as good as her word the truth of conception with which timidity and boldness are united in the same character is marvellous the extravagance of her resolutions the pertinacity of her affections may be said to arise out of the gentleness of her own nature they imply an unreserved reliance on the purity of her own intentions an entire surrender of her fears to her love a knitting of herself heart and soul to the fate of another baiting the commencement of her passion which is a little fantastical and headstrong though even that may perhaps be consistently accounted for from her inability to resist a rising inclination her whole character consists in having no will of her own no prompter but her obedience her romantic turn is only a consequence of the domestic and practical part of her disposition and instead of following othello to the wars she would gladly have remained at home a moth of peace if her husband could have stayed with her her resignation and angelic sweetness of temper do not desert her at the last the scenes in which she laments and tries to account for othello's estrangement from her are exquisitely beautiful after he has struck her and called her names she says alas iago what shall i do to win my lord again good friend go to him for by this light of heaven i know not how i lost him here i kneel if e'er my will did trespass against his love either in discourse or thought or actual deed or that mine eyes mine ears or any sense delighted them on any other form or that i do not and ever did and ever will though he do shake me off to beggarly divorcement love him dearly comfort forswear me unkindness may do much and his unkindness may defeat my life, but never taint my love. Iago, 
i pray you be content tis but his humour the business of the state does him offence desdemona it were no other the scene which follows with amelia and the song of the willow are equally beautiful and show the author's extreme power of varying the expression of passion in all its moods and in all its circumstances amelia would you had never seen him desdemona so would not i my love does so approve him that even his stubbornness his checks his frowns have grace and favour in them not the unjust suspicions of othello not iago's treachery place desdemona in a more amiable or interesting light than the casual conversation half earnest half jest between her and amelia on the common behaviour of women to their husbands this dialogue takes place just before the last fatal scene if othello had overheard it it would have prevented the whole catastrophe but then it would have spoiled the play the character of iago is one of the supererogations of shakespeare's genius some persons more nice than wise have thought this whole character unnatural because his villainy is without a sufficient motive shakespeare who was as good a philosopher as he was a poet thought otherwise he knew that the love of power which is another name for the love of mischief is natural to man he would know this as well or better than if it had been demonstrated to him by a logical diagram merely from seeing children paddle in the dirt or kill flies for sport iago in fact belongs to a class of characters common to shakespeare and at the same time peculiar to him whose heads are as acute and active as their hearts are hard and callous iago is to be sure an extreme instance of the kind that is to say of diseased intellectual activity with an almost perfect indifference to moral good or evil or rather with a decided preference of the latter because it falls more readily in with his favourite propensity gives greater zest to his thoughts and scope to his actions he is quite or nearly as indifferent to his own fate as to that of others he runs all risk for a trifling and doubtful advantage and is himself the dupe and victim of his ruling passion an insatiable craving after action of the most difficult and dangerous kind our ancient is a philosopher who fancies that a lie that kills has more point in it than an alliteration or an antithesis who thinks a fatal experiment on the peace of a family a better thing than watching the palpitations in the heart of a flea in a microscope who plots the ruin of his friends as an exercise for his ingenuity and stabs men in the dark to prevent ennui his gaiety such as it is arises from the success of his treachery his ease from the torture he has inflicted on others he is an amateur of tragedy in real life and instead of employing his invention on imaginary characters or long-forgotten incidents he takes the bolder and more desperate course of getting up his plot at home casts the principal parts among his nearest friends and connections and rehearses it in downright earnest with steady nerves and unabated resolution 
We will just give an illustration or two. One of his most characteristic speeches is that immediately after the marriage of Othello. Rodrigo, what a full fortune does the thick lips owe if he can carry her thus? Iago, call up her father, rouse him, make after him, poison his delight, proclaim him in the streets, incense her kinsmen, and though he in a fertile climate dwell, plague him with flies though that his joy be joy yet throw such changes of vexation on it as it may lose some colour in the next passage his imagination runs riot in the mischief he is plotting and breaks out into the wildness and impetuosity of real enthusiasm rodrigo here is her father's house i'll call aloud iago do with like timorous accent and dire yell, as when by night in negligence the fire is spied in populous cities. One of his most favorite topics, on which he is rich indeed, and in descanting on which his spleen serves him for a muse, is a disproportionate match between Desdemona and the Moor. This is a clue to the character of the lady which he is by no means ready to part with. It is brought forward in the first scene and he recurs to it when in answer to his insinuations against desdemona rodrigo says i cannot believe that in her she's full of most blessed conditions iago blessed figs end the wine she drinks is made of grapes if she had had been blessed she would never have married the more and again with still more spirit and fatal effect afterwards when he turns this very suggestion arising in Othello's own breast to her prejudice. Othello. And yet how nature erring from itself. Iago. Aye, there's the point, as to be bold with you, not to affect many proposed matches of her own clime, complexion, and degree, etc. This is probing to the quick. Iago here turns the character of poor Desdemona, as it were, inside out. It is certain that nothing but the genius of Shakespeare could have preserved the entire interesting delicacy of the part, and have even drawn an additional elegance and dignity from the peculiar circumstances in which she is placed. The habitual licentiousness of Iago's conversation is not to be traced to the pleasure he takes in gross or lascivious images, but to his desire of finding out the worst side of everything, and of proving himself an overmatch for appearances. He has none of the milk of human kindness in his composition. His imagination rejects everything that is not a strong infusion of the most unpalatable ingredients. His mind digest only poisons virtue or goodness or whatever has the least relish of salvation in it is to his depraved appetite sickly and insipid and he even resents the good opinion entertained of his own integrity as if it were an affront cast on the masculine sense and spirit of his character thus at the meeting between othello and desdemona he exclaims oh you are well tuned now but i'll set down the pegs that make this music as honest as i am 
his character of bonhomie not sitting at all easily upon him in the scenes where he tries to work othello to his purpose he is proportionately guarded insidious dark and deliberate we believe nothing ever came up to the profound dissimulation and dexterous artifice of the well-known dialogue in the third act where he first enters upon the execution of his design iago my noble lord othello what dost thou say iago iago did michael cassio when you wooed my lady know of your love othello he did from first to last why dost thou ask iago but for a satisfaction of my thought no further harm othello why of thy thought iago iago i did not think he had been acquainted with it othello oh yes and went between us very oft iago indeed othello indeed i indeed discernest thou aught of that is he not honest iago honest my lord othello honest ay honest iago my lord for aught i know othello what dost thou think iago think my lord othello think my lord alas thou echoest me as if there was some monster in thy thought too hideous to be shown the stops and breaks the deep workings of treachery under the mask of love and honesty the anxious watchfulness the cool earnestness and if we may so say the passion of hypocrisy marked in every line received their last finishing in that inconceivable burst of pretended indignation at othello's doubts of his sincerity oh grace oh heaven forgive me are you a man have you a soul or sense god be with you take mine office o wretched fool that lovest to make thine honesty a vice o monstrous world take note take note o world to be direct and honest is not safe i thank you for this prophet and from hence i'll love no friend since love breeds such offence if iago is detestable enough when he has business on his hands and all his engines at work he is still worse when he has nothing to do and we only see into the hollowness of his heart his indifference when othello falls into a swoon is perfectly diabolical iago how is it general have you not hurt your head othello dost thou mock me iago i mock you not by heaven etc the part indeed would hardly be tolerated even as a foil to the virtue and generosity of the other characters in the play but for its indefatigable industry and inexhaustible resources which divert the attention of the spectator as well as his own from the end he has in view to the means by which it must be accomplished edmund the bastard in lear is something of the same character placed in less prominent circumstances 
Zanga is a vulgar caricature of it. End of Othello.